0: Andrew Yang is the co-founder of The Forward Party, a new independent political movement dedicated to restoring the promise of American democracy. He's the author of the books The War on Normal People and Forward Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. Stephen March is the author of The next Civil War, The Unmade Bed, The Messy Truth About Men and Women in the 21st Century, and The Hunger of the Wolf. Their new novel written together is The Last Election. Thank you for joining me, Andrew and Stefan.
1: Pleased to be with you. Thanks for having us.
0: One of the things that I thought when I first read this book, I looked at it, it is, in a sense, a work of science fiction in that it begins in the future, November of this year, it ends in the future, January twentieth, uh, twenty twenty-five. Like most works of science fiction, it was not written in the future. Science fiction writers don't have a, you know, a lock on time travel. They have to write everything in the past. And at the best science fiction is, as uh, Cory Doctorow once told me, uh, it it attempts to predict the present. <laughs> and that made me think of. When I first started reading science fiction in the golden age of science fiction, which was 15 for me, I collected books by a guy named Frederick Pohl. And I had these little books that I would line them up. He was an advertising guy who hit upon writing science fiction. And one of the things he said that I always remembered was that the science fiction writer doesn't try to predict the car. He predicts the traffic jam. And this is exactly what you two guys have done. You, In your prediction for the present, you both are well familiar with politics. You don't predict the politics. You predict a political traffic jam that is apocalyptic in nature. And I'd like you to just discuss the idea of looking at the present and predicting the present. Andrew.
1: Yeah, Stephen, oh, Steve, yeah, Stephen um, wrote an excellent book, The Next Civil War, um, that I interviewed him on. And we connected on a lot of our concerns about uh, the not so distant future of the US and its political system, its culture, um, the degradation of various institutions. And uh, we thought, you know what? People enjoy stories more than they enjoy other means of delivering various ideas. Uh, so let's tell a story. And let's let's tell a story based upon what I thought would happen if there were to be a relatively strong and credible independent presidential candidate. In this case, it was loosely based on Mark Cuban. Uh Mark, hope you're cool with that. <laughs> I haven't talked to Mark about it yet. You're not supposed to say that, Andrew. I'm um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> um this because I'm I'm friendly with Mark. Or, um But uh, as you described, I mean, I I thought, look, there is the um, potential to give an insider blow by blow account of what a campaign like that would look like. And one of the things that Stephen and I took pride in was trying to make everything as true to life as possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, like what. You know, when I wrote The Next Civil War, which is a lot of projections about American collapse in a, in a very serious way, I never really wrote about politics because I never really had somebody that I trusted to tell me what how it worked. And like to give, you're always trying to triangulate as an outsider, even the most sophisticated journalist, you're always trying to triangulate what's really going on. And, you know, Andrew was really able to explain it in a very similar way, I, I, in a very a sympathetic way. I mean, he and I, I think, have a, one great similarity is that we um, we think the problem is systematic rather than personal, right? Rather than like individual choices, it really has to come down. It, it, the problem is systematic. And he just offered just an incredibly compelling portrait of what is systematically wrong. And that was, I, I mean, to me, that's, the, that's what this book serves, right? Is to give, is to articulate what that is and how it looks and how it works. And, you know, um, that that's the core of, of the reality we're trying to describe.
0: It's important that when you're trying to describe reality to create a compelling story, uh, humans react much. We're a narrative species. Uh, we define ourselves by our own stories. If I ask you who you are, well, you will tell me a story. And Andrew, the same thing. And so one of the things I think that is important and core to this being a really effective novel and an effective thriller is to, you guys create two fabulous characters at the center of this, uh, representing the yin and yang, so to speak, of politics and the press, uh, So talk about creating those characters because they really drive the action and they bring the whole thing, make it really satisfying read on every page. This is not a book where you want to turn ahead. This is a book where you want to experience every detail that leads to the conclusion, that traffic jam, as it were.
1: Yeah, um, to to Stephen's point and to yours, um so the the temptation is to think oh there are bad people doing things that we just had good people then we'd be fine um but really if you look within a campaign there's a whole variety of people including some people are very very altruistic uh and well-intended three-dimensional uh and so uh the campaign manager who I joke is like a, a hornier uh version of my real life campaign manager um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know I mean uh, I I think that a lot of readers would find him um to be relatable in many ways because he's trying to make the most out of um the situation I mean obviously he you know makes some choices you might disagree with uh but that there's Humanity there we hope um the same is true of the journalist um Martha Cass who you look at and you know they're they're not entirely um uh heroes but they're certainly not people you're you're meant to root against i mean you're you're meant to be invested in what happens to them
2: yeah i mean i thought with you know andrew gave me so much of the truth of american politics in such a you know unprecedented brave way i just wanted to do a realistic journalistic character and a realistic portrait of a journalistic institution i mean i think journalistic institutions they feel so under threat by so many features that it's quite natural to create either journalistic heroes like straight up or monster or like journal, the the monster journalists from, uh, you know, that you see sometimes in thriller, thriller movies. And I wanted someone who like their heart is absolutely in the right place. The, both of the main characters, their heart is absolutely in the right place, but because of the systems they're in and the situations they're in, they're faced with really, uh, you know, kind of impossible situations. Right. And, they, and how they react to those impossible situations is sort of, the nub of the 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 drama if you will but you know i i i think um we live in a world where both politics and press they scream it it's all it's a lot of screaminess and i hate it it's not real it's not realistic it's not how people are they're not actually horrible people or great people they're actually uh, often just trying to do the right thing and and not and and not being able to or you know not want it, or the opposite and so that seemed to me like it was the core It was also core to the message of the book, which is that the problem is the system.
0: You know, one of the things I love about this book, there are so many great sentences, and I just want to throw a couple back at you guys about each aspect of this. Andrew, at one point, we have the the character, his name is Cooper. He's the um, magnetic billionaire who wants to make politics good again, and, and he thinks... Cooper needs to escape the impression that he's a billionaire trying to buy the presidency the way his fellow billionaires buy themselves a trip to space with the cast of Star Trek, (laughs) which is uh, uh, such a great sentence. And on the other side, on the press side, uh, we have um, uh, the character thinking, like many people who have devoted themselves to an institution, the more it betrays her, the more she worships it. The New York Times employs nearly five thousand people. Before they are hired, each is vetted like candidates for the Secret Service or the Supreme Court. And On each side, when I'm reading this, I think, "Wow, that's just such a great detail and such a," and we get the, the details via the characters. So talk about, um, you know, planned salting the narrative with the kind of details that drive your ideas forward, but also. Invest us in the characters, which makes this book really
1: superior now yeah the um uh, the goal is to put people in the shoes of uh the actors or the the agents or the people who are trying to um either um save democracy or uh, report on a particular story and I've actually been in rooms i mean obviously I ran for president um so i I know what I experienced. Um, but i was i was also trapped in buses and rental vehicles for weeks on end uh, with campaign staff and operatives and volunteers and and journalists and so if you have a sense of the internal dialogues and also the scuttlebutt i mean one thing i was proud of in this book was that i think that people talked um more like people actually talk <laughs> when you're stuck in the rental vehicle with them believe it or not when you're running for president you're stuck in the rental vehicle uh you know like that there's um some um profanity some uh you know glibness some uh tearing each other down um, just because you know like you're um uh, building rapport in different ways uh, and so uh, being able to convey that, I think, gave, gives it that sense of veracity that you're describing. You're like, OK, uh, you know, a bit, like the, these are actually versions of people.
2: The scuttlebutt is the key. That's the key word. I mean, that's why you should read this book. Right. Like the reason to read this book is like, like I had a friend who was hired by the New York Times and she had to pro- she had to provide a list of a whole bunch of informations because a person was going to vet her just. And I mean, like, I, no one has asked me for my personal information ever. Right. Like, but they're different. They're different. They have a different sense of mission. They have a different sense of their own importance. I mean, that's just an accurate little detail. Right. And I mean, I think the details that I got from from Andrew, but also from his staff, like they were just they are incredible. Like, like you don't need, the thing is like most fiction is like exaggerates things. I don't think the situation is such that we need to exaggerate anything anymore. Like just put it down on the page and just let, and let it be there. I mean, just like those two lines that you saw. I mean, it, you, you, when you read them back to me, it's like, yeah, that is crazy. But also that's just the most accurately I could put it. Like that, the most accurately that it could be described. So like, it, you know, it's, um, I, we're in a place I think where I, you know, reality has outstripped fiction. You don't need to be crazy. Like, you don't need to be wild. You can just describe how things are.
0: You know, I, I thought, too, you guys made a lot of really good decisions and difficult decisions in making this book because, on one hand, you always you refer to the president, and never by name, and the Republican, never by name. What that does is we all immediately punch in kind of reality without dragging all the detritus that currently accompanies reality so we can understand who's in those places without having that whole, all those terrible, awful, many, bazillions of stories clutter up your narrative and and i think that that works out really well because um it allows us to focus on what you want us to focus on which is how the sausage is being made and it's un an, that unhappy that part of the story is pretty unhappy
1: <laughs> yeah yeah what, what was fun is that um there were real journalists and real celebrities sprinkled throughout that um, I think we're also, frankly, pretty grounded in reality. Um, but we we didn't want uh, to fill in um, uh, everything, uh, certainly some of the political figures, in part because what you described as a projection of a particular cycle, let's call it the 2024 cycle, we were trying to write something that could stand in for 2028, could stand in for, <laughs> you know, like a yep. 2032. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I think many of the things that are uh on the page will a version of them will come to pass sometime in in that time frame um so i wouldn't say this thing necessarily uh applies to every cycle of them you know like i i mean uh, unfortunately uh, like I, I think that predictions about what the heck um 2040 <laughs> or so it would would look like um uh, yeah. uh, you know um uh, might not be accurate uh, but that was one of the reasons why in our mind we wanted to do something that um, stood up uh, over a period of years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think like what this is a portrait of is one way that it could end, right? And I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Andrew. But when people ask me, like, what do you like, because I wrote the next war, they ask me, like, what do you think is going to happen in twenty twenty four? I'm actually like, this is not that far from what I think would happen. Like, it's not like like I don't I don't think we're su- I don't think we've been shown to be super wrong so far. Right, like it's like it, like it's like it's. I mean, there is a method. You know, there is a method for having somebody who doesn't win an election, either in the popular vote or in the, um, uh, or in the electoral college vote, uh, win, become president in a totally constitutional way. And that's a terror. And it's happened before. And it's a very terrifying reality. And what year it happens in, to me, is not so important as yeah. the fact that it that it that it's it that it could happen. happen.
1: <laughs> and it's probably gonna happen at some point. it's not gonna happen and and a, a lot of it so uh a, a lot a, a lot of it is reliant upon there being frankly um uh some kind of uh political movements from outside the two-party system candidates who run from outside the two-party system um, which is part of an historical cycle or realignment uh, where one of the things people generally don't realize is that someone like Abraham Lincoln um won his election with 39% of the vote um uh among four candidates. Uh now we all revere Abraham Lincoln as one of you know the greatest presidents ever, um maybe the greatest. Um, but can you imagine contemporaneously being like, okay, this guy's president, 39%, sure that works. <laughs> you know, right. like, like in, in today's day and age where um where you know if the if your incoming president got 39% of the vote, people would be up in arms. And unfortunately, that is what happened when Abraham Lincoln won, where uh, the South said, that's not my president, and they freaking seceded. Um, uh, and and so you can imagine some version of that playing out over the next number of years.
2: Yeah, and when you talk about like the present, like, you know, you know, you talked about like the future, the science fiction, the job is, is to predict the present, which I think is totally what we're trying to do here. I mean, this is completely an accurate description of what we're trying to do. Um, like it was also about the past right it was like the election of 1876 in particular 1824 1828 um the elections before the civil war and what happened i mean they provide they're they're frighteningly plausible right like they're not like they're not they they're, they're like like when you read them you don't, you don't feel like you're reading something in the distant past it's like oh well that that absolutely could happen right um and 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 that was that was also part of this it's like it's it's not necessarily even it's, it's not it's not 2024 it's also you know part built into the system if you will
0: and that brings me to uh, the idea that those who do not learn their history are doomed to repeat it and the election of 1824 is particularly Instructive because we have now two pretty um you know potential third parties gearing up. There there's Andrews, which is the forward. Now that party we we know a lot about them. We know who's behind them. We know what they represent. Uh, there's also a new party, um, and th- this party we don't know anything about. They've concealed uh, their. All their donors, um, they're hiding behind um, some election laws. So, talk about you know the the history, what we can learn from the history of third parties, because also too, I mean. Democrats and Republicans, it has not been that way since day one. It wasn't like Washington was a Democrat and he wanted to hand it off the, the office to, to a Republican. It, it, we've had Whigs, We've had no nothings. We've had a, a lot of parties uh, that, you know, have uh, come and gone. And we think that the way things are today is the way they have always been and the way they will always be. That is not the case and this book makes that frighteningly clear
1: yeah so um to to put it out there uh the the forward party of which i'm the co-chair is not um, running a candidate in the presidential cycle in part because of the concerns laid out in this book i think you're describing no labels um, which is an organization that that is looking at putting together a unity ticket um, but you don't need to look uh too far I mean, Cornell West is running in the Green Party. I have a very high conviction that RFK um, Jr. Uh, continues to run as an independent. Um, so you could see three or four candidates this cycle even without no labels. And and um, and I and so let, if no labels does have its own ticket, you're looking at five. So I think three, four, or five is very much on the table in 2024 based on things that are already out there. And that's not based upon something new where if, a figure like Cooper Sherman decides to run by the way that there there is a reasonable chance that it happens kind of late because believe believe it or not there are some advantages to doing it kind of late some disadvantages for sure but some advantages so uh, so that this stuff is very much on the table um, and to your point uh, versions of this have happened before I mean, that Andrew's,
2: I want there's no, nothing for me to like Andrew knows all about this. I would just say that when I had Dark Money explained to me properly by people who understood it, I couldn't sleep for like a day. Like it was like it like it was like, oh my God. Right. Like I, I think the ordinary, just the ordinary way of how it works, it was just so amazing to me.
0: You know um one of the things I like about this book too are the the call outs to uh some of the previous political philosophers who have you know nailed it long ago um you uh, point to uh, Marshall mcLuhan famously, the television will be uh, the the revolution will be televised well that's already happened. Um, and you write also that Marshall McLuhan said that the Third World War would be a guerrilla information war in which there were no combatants and no civilians. Okay, check. And also y- you mentioned, and it's very briefly, um, the the paranoid style um, which um, of politics, which is a, a famous uh, article by uh, Richard Hosteter that ran The Atlantic and later became a book so talk about, you know, some of these political philosophers who informed your book and also just are, you know, who hit the nail right straight on the head.
2: Well, I mean, like uh, to me, um, Marshall McLuhan, the, the funny thing about Marshall McLuhan is that the weirder he said things, the things that sounded craziest, those are the ones that turned out to be most accurate, whereas is like sort of normal like normal media theory that he did was actually pretty poor. But like, you know, the third world war is a guerrilla war where there's no combatants and there's no like if you look at the war in Ukraine, that is exactly the nature of it. Right. Like, And I think if you also look at new theories of mimetic warfare, which we talked about a bit in the in the book, Andrew and I, because um, particularly fascinating to me was learning how campaigns were adapting to this new social media environment and how they were both like, and also how things get overrated too, like how algorithms got overrated in various campaigns. And just hearing the the technical details of that stuff was all just um, incredibly fascinating to me because like, you know, that seems like to you and me where it's like, we're writers and we live in this novelist world. It's like, that's a, a, a grand theory for Marshall McLuhan, right? To political operatives, this is their daily task. This is what they do. This is how they fight. This is how they, and they, and they understand it very consciously on those terms. So it's like, I mean, to me again, once it, it's the scuttlebutt, right? Because like Marshall McLuhan's theories are very interesting. Hofstadter's theories are very interesting. But when you see it actually thought through, like, what are we going to do tomorrow? We're on the bus. What are we going to do tomorrow uh, on social media? Fascinating. Because it is absolutely a struggle on, on, on Marshall McLuhan's terms. It's just very practical. It's just a very, a very practical business.
1: You know, so the the thinkers that I was trying to um, give uh, voice to, I don't think actually uh, were mentioned by name, um, but Ezra Klein's Why We're Polarized, uh, Jonathan Heights, The Righteous Mind, uh, Lawrence Lessig's They Don't Represent Us. Um, There are a bunch of thinkers that are fairly concrete you know like as we go through a lot of data um jonathan as uh, a social scientist so he goes through different cultures um and and lawrence is you know an academic so that these guys have documented in many ways the ongoing deterioration of american politics um i'm also going to throw in there tim urban uh wait but why mm-hmm. he came out with a book uh, uh what's our problem um, and so there are different people that are documenting, like, wow, guys, this is really progressing badly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and and uh, one of my frustrations with most of them, so that there's an exception to that. I mean, L- Lessig works his heart out. I mean, you ran for president. So, like, like Lessig's not in this. I mean, they all work their hearts out. Uh, it's just that that we see these things, and then everyone's like, okay, like, I guess we're just on this uh you know ride uh toward the cliff <laughs> you know it, it's now Now, the the forces that are taking us toward the cliff are massive i mean uh, you know Stephen described dark money it's like okay how do you go of dark money well you need a constitutional amendment it's like can anyone amend the constitution no so i guess we're just going to do this thing right um so there are different versions of the of, of these problems um but you know it is actually articulated by a journalist at a conference i was at gosh now like it was like 2018 and she even said she was like like why is it that so many of the people i talk to who are actually pretty in many cases smart and powerful just throw up their hands and say we're on a ride that we're not gonna like the ending to um and that's just the way it is and, and uh you know in in some ways this book is about what that ride actually looks like <laughs> but it's it's also i mean my day job is trying to um reinvigorate american democracies so that it doesn't look like this um so that maybe we could vote for people and not necessarily uh empower someone we don't like to do better because of a really archaic voting system that doesn't actually integrate people's points of view or give rise to any new entrants. and so then if you do have a new entrant you're like oh oh like you're gonna fuck things up um and then you're and then you think like huh. Maybe that is true because of the way the system currently is, but then telling everyone in a country of 330 million just keep a lid on it, like you know, just won't work. Like increasingly, <laughs> and so so that, why are we so, laughing? I mean, <laughs> because it's true. It's like that. That, that seems to be yeah, like right. the, that seems to be the plan. It's like, look, yeah. guys, don't don't worry. That the the system that is held for. It has held for a long time. I mean, you know, depending on your math, like let's call it 160 years. This isn't that it's held for 160 years; will hold for another 100 more, in a time when nothing else is holding. <laughs> yeah. And then you look at that and say, "Well, on the face of it, that doesn't seem like a great uh, plan or approach." Um, and so, you know, what's a better plan?
2: I mean, you know, like obviously the two, like part of this book is like exploring the dominance of the two parties and the monopoly they have over and what that does to this system. Right. And I mean, like, you know, getting the dark money out. Yeah. That requires a constitutional amendment. It's impossible. But like open primaries is like, could that would at least take the foot off the gas of the hyper-partisanship? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, and that's a small thing, but no one will do it. Right. Because like, because they are, because they're of their, of their personal interests in it. Right. And that's more upsetting to me. There are lots of small things to take the foot off the gas, just like slow the hatred down, which I think is a, you know, which surely at some point, I mean, books like this are ringing the bell saying, like, we've got to do this. Right. Um, The question is, what what will it take for them to actually realize that they have to take their foot off the gas?
0: You know, there's something in physics called the three body problem, which states that you can easily understand and predict the orbits of two planets around each other. You throw a third in there and everything goes wonky and there's no easy prediction to be made. And I think what we're seeing that in, in American politics, you know, that the human version of the three body problem.
1: Yeah. And um, you're going to see more and more new entrants. I mean, uh, just to, to use some, Uh, popular sentiment i think between 65 and 75 percent of americans are not pumped about uh like a biden versus trump rematch and and so in that kind of environment uh you know some very very well resourced type could be like you know what this country needs me (laughs) you know And and then you could and you could look at that and be like oh that that person's um you know like uh not gonna do the right thing but maybe that person actually has fine motivations like you know maybe they're like hey I genuinely would do a better job than either of these two individuals. And and it is it, it is patently absurd in a country of 330 million that that could be the choice. And then people are going to say, look, that's definitely the choice. Like these are definitely like the top two choices in a country of 330 million. And then a lot of Americans would be like, ah, that can't be right. I mean, <laughs> like when I, when I talk to people, I mean, that, that's the message I get. Now, despite all that, you know, like my, like my efforts personally are... Um, Uh, trying to be helpful uh, given the reality that we have Um, but the but uh, imagining a static system um, that'll go on forever when everything else is changing is like a very very unintelligent approach
2: yeah I mean that's it isn't it like it's like when everything else is changing this this like when you look over like we did for this book like the uh, well I, uh, andrew knew it of course but i, I was exposed to it from a, on a detailed point of view and like how antiquated the electoral college system is i mean it just takes your breath away it's like you're dealing with you're dealing with you're dealing with the state of california and texas and massachusetts and new york you're dealing with ultra modernity right and and they're attached to this political system that is agrarian 19th century, like it, written when, you know, it was written when Washington was a hundred miles from untouched forest, right? And it, it just is so apparent, like this has to change to you know, to reflect, um, you know, reality, basically. And there's two ways, there's this way or like actually thinking it through and trying to, you know, and, and trying to come up with a better system. But, you know, this is the prediction that we have. <laughs>
0: Speaking of predictions, too, um, it seems to me that, uh, well, long ago, I, I took my dad, when it first came out to see Blade Runner, A- and he said afterwards, he said, Rick, do you really think that that he thinks it's going to be like that? And my answer was, no, he, uh, he he just thinks, you know, that it could be that way, but He'd prefer it not be that way. And I think that a lot of people write futuristic fiction not to show the way they think things will be, or but to, th- to say, I'm fictionalizing this, so it just it's already fiction. It can't happen in real life. Something else has to happen. And, and I'm thinking that you two are hoping that your book will not have come true, but... Given all the research and the reality in it, you're also thinking, "Boy, it's likely to." And I'm wondering how you you feel about that. I mean, um, if this happens, this is is not. I, I'm not giving a spoiler away, given the title of the book this is not a happy ending for the united states
1: well uh, if something like this does come to pass um the united states will uh still trudge forward albeit under systems that um people will completely recognize as um uh as uh not grounded in many of the things that they were told growing up um you know and and so Um, it would be an acceleration of institutional degradation uh, and then I think all sorts of strange things um, generally negative um, uh, become on the table so I agree with your evaluation of it is that I don't think me and Stephen were being very far-fetched in this Um, but I'd like to be wrong or I'd like to and in my case again I mean I I actually do work on um, trying to to make things better and more resilient um though we're up against the clock uh so you know i mean i i like I, I know a lot of very very um powerful people and a lot of them are freaked out about 2024 and when they look at it they also have a sense of powerlessness um and one of my jobs is to be like well here are some of the things we can do i'll actually tell you guys a true true story um as to what i've told very very powerful people um i say look the, the smartest thing you could do in this system is just run the most rancid racist crazy person you can think of um because uh that that actually might siphon um some of the like you know less well-intended votes <laughs> <laughs> like that's actually a smart thing to do now uh, in the current american system no one wants to touch that with a 10-foot pole um um but that would actually be pretty smart um, another thing that would be pretty smart is to encourage tens of thousands of Americans to move to swing states. <laughs> I mean, that, that would actually be fine. Um, and it, and if you look at the economics of that, it actually still makes sense. Uh, but no one wants to touch that with the 10-foot pole. So I said, okay, here's my fallback to the fallback to the fallback that I will recommend, is that we should be trying to build rosters of independent swing voters in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh michigan north carolina let's say and then um try and encourage them to vote for whoever will actually reform the system meaningfully uh and and then use that as a spur to both get through this cycle and um improve things structurally uh so that's something i'm working on in real life um, uh, believe for me but it's not that you know i mean because i i'm um I'm, i consider myself uh, patriot and a problem solver, and I'm going to, you know, like uh, try and do something about it. Um, but you know, I mean, it, 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 but if you ask me, like, hey, um, do I feel good about what's on, on the pike? I don't, and I, I think that this book uh, is a reflection of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, God willing, we're wrong. Like God, God will, like God willing, it's all. It turns out to be a joke, and everything actually just works out. But I mean, w- this is a very grounded book. Like that's the point of it. The point of it is, it's a thriller that's as grounded as possible. And the trends that we're talking about have been underway. Like the institutional degradation that Andrew's talking about, like that's not really negotiable. Like that's not, that's been, that's been underway since 1980 at the latest. And it's been pretty steady. And like, you know, I don't really believe in, that's why we don't have a date on it. Like, but what we are trying to do here is provide a portrait of the system. And the system is, is currently self-destructive, right? And I, I think, that, like, whether that's a prediction or a description, um, it, it's kind of neither here nor there, because it's it's based on the most accurate information that we could get.
0: You know, um, one one of the things that I, I like about this novel are, as I said, the characters. And you have many idealists, and you have, I guess, a kind of anti-idealist, Balfour, who is what a great character. He, I mean, he starts out low and then uh, digs, you know, hits the bottom of the barrel, then turns the barrel upside down and keeps digging. So talk about creating Balfour.
2: Well, I mean, he was just based, roughly based on some oppo agents um, and where they came from and what their lifestyle was. And, you know, they're, that's not a particularly cheerful line of work um but, you know I mean I, what I found really interesting is like talking to Andrew and his staff and like the people around him um and his colleagues was like they were cynical and they were they were telling me the truth and they were telling me the hard truth the hard nose truth and so when they said like oh no these people are really altruistic and optimistic I knew it right it was really interesting it was like oh yeah like this is like this is you know, you when you have the the, the hard nosed me- mechanics of this explained, you know, it wasn't the cynicism wasn't what surprised me at all. What surprised me was it's like, oh, the volunteers are all highly altruistic, like those are all good people, like they and and you and and like and, and also like the people's good motivations were explained to me very clearly too, and so it's that kind of light and shadow thing that we were talking about at the beginning, right? Where it's like, it's not realistic to just be cynical. Like that's, that's where I think a lot of things go wrong, where it's like, you think like the the more cynical you are, the more accurate you're being, but that's not actually correct. Like what you're actually have to deal with is people's motivations and the, and the situations they find themselves in with those motivations. And that's where you get a more realistic portrait of why the system is so screwed up and, and how people respond to it. Right. So like, I, I mean, I, I, I would just say like, with a ball for character who is just a straight villain like like from from a, a classic thriller um you know that's that he's definitely part of the system and he like people like him absolutely exist absolutely. um yeah like, like like there's no there that's not a fabrication or a uh like that that's not the kind of thing where it's like oh you're just being outlandish like i'm not being outlandish like he, that's yeah, yeah. that's what you they can, look like you can like.
1: be cynical about the nature of uh kind of uh underbelly operatives um who who aren't exactly yeah. greeted with open arms at the you know cocktail party <laughs> I mean, yeah like, like 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 those people um you know those those people very much exist and uh and um people turn to them when they need certain things done um and uh it's yeah I mean like I've I've encountered some of them and you're like wow you exist.
2: Yeah, right. That's exactly right. It's like, yeah. Oh, right. You are there. Right. It's like, I thought you were only in Shakespeare plays or something, but no, you're there. Yeah.
0: Could you both talk about the whole oppo industry, which I thought was just what a fascinating insight. It was really interesting to read about this and, and, you know, not heartening, but interesting.
1: Um, um, Yeah, so I've I've been a part of this process um, generally on the receiving end or the negative. So um, what what happens is uh, firms develop what's called an oppo book about pretty much any political figure or even uh, maybe could be political figure uh, and say, here's all the dirt in their past. And here are the stories that we're going to air and plant about them um, uh, to hurt them. And so the, the stories generally are timed to be as damaging as possible. So it'd be very close to, you know, voting day or campaign. So there's very much uh, negative stuff circulating about various people that people are looking to use, Um, but they'll pay big money to firms who are able to um, find people's dirty laundry.
2: I found it. I mean, I remember I was talking to Andrew and I was talking to Zach and we were like, to figure out when the scandal would hit like you know like how is scandal managed like and you know scandals are coming for you so like when do you handle scandal just to make it part of structurally part of the book and they kept using this phrase unload the book like we unloaded the book or they unloaded the book on us they'll unload the book on this character then and after about the 17th time I heard it I was like wait a minute is there an actual book they were like oh yeah there's a book there's like books about everyone and I was like, can I see one? And they were like, well, so anyway, I saw one of these books and it was everything that the person had ever done wrong, even slightly, like people they'd sat down next to at parties that were unsavory, real estate transactions that were dubious or, or had like some, and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) like wow. Like, I, I mean, it really was. And I mean, there's, there's a, there's a description of that fully in the book, right? But it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, this system is very different than I thought it was. Right? like i thought this was all metaphorical they'd get some you know they'd get some dirt on some guy It'd be like a story it's like no it's like 350 pages of information of like negative information on someone i mean it, it was one of those things where i learned more about politics in like a five-minute conversation than i'd known my whole life before right it, like it, it was definitely one of those moments for sure
0: we're in an interesting environment i mean you're talking to me in the first place, you do, but uh, one of the things you talk about in the book is you have alt right YouTuber Andrew Pons, Andy Pons, in Tampico, Illinois, in his this kind of fortified uh, p- paradise. Uh, that character is really great, and you know, a lot of what you're ta- telling me, both stuff that's in the novel, but also truths that you base the novel on i mean it's straight out of almost like a national lampoon satire i mean you could just i mean why national lampoon isn't doing this you know national lampoon's election i mean that's practically where we're at you they don't have to do it you just have to watch it on on tv yeah
1: Fiction yeah, I mean, is a- yeah it's like that they're merging very very quickly uh You know i mean i i was um all to critique the last um primary debate and uh you know it's characters more and more and then you know who else are characters the influencers uh i mean all you have to do is pick up instagram and tiktok or youtube and figure it's like who, who are the actual people with followings and you know like they they tend not to be um your nondescript middle of the road type, uh, you know, they, they tend to embody certain, um, traits and profiles. Uh, and all you have to do is look at the number next to their name, you know, like who who has uh, x hundred thousand or X million followers.
2: You know, those, 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 you know, there's no Instagram follower. Who's like sensible policy for a better tomorrow. Like, that's not what, that that's not how Instagram works, right? Like, it's not, it, it's not like, yeah, we, we need to, you know, there's not gonna be an Instagrammer for open primaries because it's too, I mean, it's too, uh, it's, it, it's sensible. And what pays is outrage, right? And we are in this outrage economy where uh, to try, I mean, and I mean, I think that's a part of the reality that's described in this book, right? Is like that, that's what, I mean, that's what it, the journalist ultimately fights and loses against. Right. Is that the the outrage wins in the end. And then the country falls apart. I mean, that's the kind of media story that sort of runs counter to the political story is like, what does it mean when the news that gets re- that gets the most attention is basically driven by nonsense? Like, how do you react to that as a as a reporter, as a writer, as someone who is interested in sane politics? And uh, that And that's a very thorny question.
0: You, you know one thing that i, I thought was uh, really interesting was the the way sex scandals play into the this book it, it, it's just it is both hilarious but it, it also rings true and, and again you know we are at the the point where satire and reality are are merging on, in a rather unfortunate uh, manner
1: yeah, you'd have to go pretty far now to find a scandal um, uh, sexually that would um, turn people off. I mean, if you look back, it's like what was it? Gary Hart was a philanderer, or whatnot. Now people right. like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I remember the scandal where George Bush checked his watch. Do you remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. Where he, where George Bush checked his watch during a debate, and that was seen as like he didn't care about people, and that was that consumed like three days of news. Yeah, I mean, Andrew explained to me how scandal works in a very, very thoughtful, very credible way that I just, you know, I just thought was like, well, that's of course how it works. It's a, it's this, it's what well, you can explain it, Andrew, better than I can.
1: Well, no, it's a, it's about whether it undermines a candidate's uh, message and appeal. Um, sort of you can think of swift voting of John Kerry it's like he's a war hero it's like actually he was just uh you know hiding like (laughs) like that that stuff will hurt um but if it's uh if it's something that reinforces their general narrative then um you know it's not going to matter uh it's one reason why Trump now is so bulletproof because his appeal is built upon his um venality in, in some ways and so it's like oh he was a jerk it's like sure um uh but it's one reason why someone like Lizzo or Alan generous if they're shown to be a jerk then it's all of a sudden very very damaging um it's about turning someone's strength into a weakness uh but in this day and age um we kind of expect people to be pretending
0: right you know this too is a wonderful picture at one point uh, uh Ren is watching the, the TV and they say, what we are seeing here is exactly the kind of violence that leads to civil war and which defines societies transitioning out of democracy into autocratic forms of government. What are we supposed to do as Americans? I mean, this is, this is exactly the problem that this book confronts in, in a way that's, Realistic, and I think that you guys managed to not make this super dreary and depressing, but I guess it feels embracing because so much of what you say feels true. And this gets to the idea of writing fiction versus nonfiction. This book could have been written, in a sense, as nonfiction. Um, yeah the thing did... is
1: Stephen and I both did that um so Stephen wrote the next level war and I wrote forward the notes um notes in the future of our democracy which sounds very benign but actually if you understand what it's saying you're like oh like this yeah stuff's gonna get worse not better um so we came together for the last election in part because we wanted to try a different uh form and uh means of de- delivering the message but you're right it could it could have been nonfiction. and if anyone wants to check out the last election by Stephen Marsh or forward by me Uh, You can do that, too, though, because this is a a fiction podcast. You're probably more excited about the novel.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think one of the things that attracted us both to fiction as a concept was that, well, first of all, narrative drive. Like, right. I mean, it just, you know, like, I think you just turn off the, the news at some point. Right. Like you just like how many how many op eds can you read about. American democracy under threat like there's just there just is a certain saturation point with it but I think also it's like the humanization of the people involved to 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 both of us I think was really key right because that's what people I I think there's a especially in the media there's a real thing like oh this guy's the problem this guy's the problem this if only they'd done this if only he and it's like no 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 The, the the problems are not about the problems are the structures you you would not do any better if you were put in the same situation, right? Like, you know, like you would, you, you would face a really impossible choice and you would have, you would have to make those decisions that are, you know, very dramatic decisions, but they're human beings making them. It's not, it's not like suddenly America got filled up with monsters. Like, that's not, that's not what happened. Right. Like, there, so that, I mean, that to me was fiction is really the way to show that you know the way human beings re- react under pressure right and in conditions and and so that that to me is why fiction is you know uh the right the right way to tell the story
0: it's the best surest avenue to the truth for the reader the reader has a, a more um vital experience of the truth when it's told in a fictional way because the narrative allows you to penetrate deeper into the reader's own story, as it
1: were. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think we got a lot done uh, very efficiently and quickly. <laughs> in the it, last it, it's, a,
0: it's a book that you do, do not want to put down. <laughs> and But it's also a book that you... Think about a lot. It has a, there, there's a point where I'm, one of the characters talks about they're having a conversation and, and there's it's a man and woman trying to have a, a child and they're having a conversation under the conversation. And I think that this book really captures all those conversations that we're having under the giant conversation about America. This book captures the ones that are under those in, in a way that's really forceful and impactful on the reader
1: i'm so glad you had that experience um i think yes, that's indeed. one of steven's uh and my uh perspective i think steven's dedication said it was like look for those people who are um brave enough to see the future so we can change it um you know there are a lot of incentives for people to be like ah you know like institution's fine my institution fine uh you know like tut tut something along those lines and then um, me and Stephen, for better or for worse, uh, are wired to be like, okay, how does this actually play out? What really happens? And and then we look at it and point to it and say, guys, if you don't like this, like maybe we should do something about it. Um, a- and the, the, the fundamental problem is that um, people's incentives are generally just to go along uh, with the wave. Often they're getting paid a lot of money with the wave. Often right. they will be courting um, career disaster if they decide to try and stand in front of the wave and i can say this with conviction because i actually know dozens of people who've um seen their careers uh dashed against the rocks because they were trying to go against the wave um so you know like i i love those people um but it's not a solution in the sense that uh you can't expect people to be um courting self-disaster uh, you know, there's a scene toward the end of the book where one of the characters we named who's not great, like, is just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, everything's coming up my, my direction, and <laughs> um, and, and there, and you know, and th- those are real humans, by the way. That um, you know, like, as, and, and this is one of the reasons why we are in this predicament is that there, there are plenty of folks who are just gonna be like, look, I myself, am gonna, am gonna be fine, <laughs> like, like, like this this um you know this, this country can head in very very dark directions but there'll still be a place for me
0: the new book by andrew yang and stephen marsh is the last the last election thank you for joining me andrew and stephen
2: pleasure
1: thanks for having us uh yeah, yeah. and thank you for reading the book so closely um it was a lot yeah. of fun